Hey, you're listening to The Double Shift. Before we get started on this episode, I want to let you know that we've put together a listener survey, and we'd love to learn more about you, our listeners, and get your feedback on the show so far. To take our quick survey, please go to thedoubleshift.com slash survey. That's thedoubleshift.com slash survey. Thanks so much. Your feedback will really help us continue to make a great show. This is The Double Shift, the show about a new generation of working mothers. I'm your host, Katherine Goldstein. I've been a journalist for more than a decade, but when I switched my focus to researching and reporting on motherhood a couple years ago, it became clear to me that the challenges moms face aren't taken seriously, and I decided a podcast would be the best way to have that bigger conversation. For the last two months, you've been listening to that very podcast, reported stories about mothers across the country. But now I want to share something a bit more personal from me, especially because when it comes to being a working mom, the personal and professional can be very messily connected. I started what ultimately turned into this episode without a clear goal. I was just recording observations and updates about my own life as I learned how to do audio work. It wasn't an easy decision for me to put this all out there, but since so many mothers are trusting me to tell their stories, I think it's important to tell mine too. I also want to be upfront about a few other things. I've had some real ups and downs in my life, but I know I have a lot of privileges in my experience of motherhood. I'm white, I have more financial resources than many people do, and I have a supportive partner. But for me, my first year of motherhood was rough. My son Asher was born in 2015 with some serious health problems, and I lost my job when he was six months old. In 2018, Asher was doing great health-wise, but my husband Travis and I decided we were ready for an easier and less expensive life, and we wanted to be closer to family. So we moved from New York City to North Carolina. Despite leaving the media capital of the world, I still had a lot of professional ambitions. Just as we moved, I got offered a deal to pilot this show with a big-time podcast company. A total dream. But then I got thrown a little curveball. Um, it's Tuesday, April 17th, and I just took a pregnancy test. And I am pregnant, according to the pregnancy test. And I am feeling basically like when I saw the pregnancy test, I felt like time slowed down and I am no longer awake and I'm now in a dream state. I don't know how else to describe it. Um... Okay, I can't say that I'm shocked. That seems a little bit dramatic. But um, I am really uh, am just not sure what I feel. So, um, I'm reeling. (laughs) I am definitely reeling. Um, The crazy thing about this timing 
is that like this is coming at such a ridiculous time in my career and it's like I've made my whole work around women dealing with motherhood and career and all this stuff like I'm so immersed in this and I am about to fucking live it all over again because I am in this like really intense pre-pilot schedule for my podcast about working mothers and so the next three weeks are like this hardcore intense working time that I requires serious focus and I'm gonna try to get if everything works out and this pregnancy sticks and this is all going forward I'm gonna have to try to move forward with this professional dream of doing this podcast while also being pregnant and then having a, a newborn and like if anyone understands how challenging that is and the obstacles I can face in taking on something big professionally when you're trying when you have a baby, it's me because I've been there. Um, and oh god, oh my god, oh my god, oh my god, and like oh god, I just hope. I really, I mean, it would be ridiculous for a podcast about being a working mother to somehow be jeopardized by having another baby. But, like, I've seen so much bad behavior in the world that God only knows. Um, Like, what if they don't want to invest in me and they think I'm going to be out too long and that I'm not going to be able to be committed to the podcast because I have another baby? Like, I know this sort of sounds ridiculous because it's a podcast about being a working mother, but, like, people think these things. Like, I've read all the research and, like, I've experienced this. I've, I've... learned about it and I've heard so many stories and done so much reporting on this like this bias is real and like oh god it would just be so ironic if I don't get to do this podcast because I'm having another baby my mind is spinning my mind is spinning out of control I really I feel like I need to go back and look at the pregnancy test to like be sure that it really is positive and that this is all not a dream But, like, it was one of those digital ones that just says yes. Like, it's not like, oh, maybe that's a faint line. It's like, clearly says yes. Oh, God. Okay. I have to do work. I'm on a tight production schedule. That's all. Bye. It's uh, Tuesday, May 15th, and tomorrow is maybe going to be the craziest day of my life. So at 1 p.m., Travis and I are going to the OBGYN for my... I guess heart the like the first heartbeat appointment of this pregnancy. So that's like a really that's a pretty big appointment. That's not like a routine sonogram because that basically is the most confirming of the pregnancy beyond the pregnancy test. Um at three o'clock I have an op-ed coming out in the New York Times asking like why hasn't there been a Me Too 
moment for mothers in terms of workplace discrimination. And so it's a topic that I am so passionate about. At 4 p.m., I'm meeting with my contacts at the big New York podcast company, and they're going to give me feedback on my two pre-episode pilots. Coming out of this meeting, I should have a pretty good sense of if they want to move forward and make this into a full show or at least take the next step and like make keep working with me. So I'm confirming my pregnancy. I'm having like a humongous professional explosion public moment. And then I am having a meeting that's going to have a huge impact on my professional future. That's all happening within the span of like three hours tomorrow afternoon. So how am I feeling about all of it? Um, so far in this pregnancy, I'm way less anxious than I was in my previous pregnancy. I think I was very afraid of having a miscarriage in my previous pregnancy, and that has not felt like a central worry this time around. Um, I feel like the pregnancy is progressing mainly because I have like fucking terrible morning sickness, um, it's still that appointment is like a really big deal and they don't see the heartbeat or things aren't looking as we expect like that could be a sort of strange and upsetting and emotional appointment um so even though I don't feel super worried I know like that is just this gigantic wild card And then the podcast, like, I feel like I really want this podcast to go through and I really want to do it with this company. And I think this would be the best path forward, especially with having another baby. And if they don't want to do the podcast with me, I'm sort of at back to square one. And then I have to try to get something off the ground before the baby is born because, like... I'm just really worried about that, stalling my progress. And I don't know, I guess like since I found out I was pregnant, I feel like it was like a gun going off at the start of the race. I'm like, I have so much I have to accomplish professionally. I've like, I'm starting at the beginning with this whole new phase of my career. And it's like such a delicate time professionally. And there's so much I want to do. And I just like really don't want this pregnancy to hold me back. Okay, so let's stop there and take a break and take a moment to hear from our sponsors. Our first sponsor is Third Love, a company I've been shopping with for years. Third Love forever earned my loyalty after I ordered a bra and realized it was the wrong size after I tried it on. Their customer service fit stylist was a genius at helping me figure out what size I actually needed, and then exchanging my already worn bra for a refund was a total breeze. Just answer a few simple questions to find your perfect fit in 60 seconds. They offer over 70 sizes, including their signature half sizes. And this is hands down the most comfortable bra you'll ever own. They use memory foam in the cups, and it's amazing. 
Third Love knows there's a perfect bra for everyone. So right now, they're offering my listeners 15% off your first order. Go to thirdlove.com slash doubleshift now to find your perfect fitting bra. That's thirdlove.com slash doubleshift for 15% off. Our next sponsor is Care.com. Care.com is the world's largest digital marketplace for finding and managing family care. At Care.com, you can find care for everyone in the family, whether you need childcare while you're at work or want to line up a date night sitter, Care.com is there for you. Find sitters and nannies, housekeepers, dog walkers, senior care, tutors, errand runners, and more, full-time, part-time, anytime. I have personally had great experiences using Care.com over the years. My favorite use for it has been when we've traveled and brought our son along and needed a babysitter. It's so convenient to book with Care.com rather than try to get names and recommendations for an area you don't even live in. It saves so much time and hassle. Join for free as a basic member and start searching for great local caregivers. Once you upgrade to premium membership, you can reach out to them, schedule interviews, and even book and pay for care online through the app. To save 30% off a Care.com premium membership, visit care.com slash doubleshift when you subscribe. That's care.com slash doubleshift for 30% off a premium membership. Okay, we're back. And before the break, you heard me discover that I was pregnant with a second child. I was a little bit excited, but I was also legit worried about what having another kid would mean for my career at that particular moment. A moment when I'm getting a lot of news about my first piece ever in the New York Times and about if the podcast I'd been developing was going to get picked up by a big network. The first news, though, was about the baby. Wednesday, we went to the doctor and we had our heartbeat appointment and saw the sonogram and baby Morrison number two is looking good and growing and we heard the little embryo heartbeat, which was nice. Um, The whole thing is much more low-key and anticlimactic (laughs) compared to the first time. Um, So then um, I got an email from the New York Times that my op-ed was going to go up and there's like thousand comments on the New York Times website. I've I've gotten hundreds and hundreds of social media messages and interactions, and I I want to say I hit a nerve, but really like I hit a, a artery because in the piece I really talk about how there's so much bias against mothers. It's open. It's casual. And it's just accepted. And a lot of the comments in the New York Times website were really like presuming like working mothers are a drag on society. Working mothers are hurt productivity, none of which is true, none of which is supported by the data, which I talk about in the article. But the American workplace is so brutal. And the response is to take it out on the working mothers because they somehow get special treatment. That was sort of eye opening. But at the same time, I just got so much reaction from mothers who... I know I spoke to so deeply and that they needed this and they need to know that they weren't alone and that this is real and it's a problem and it's not their fault and that this should change. And so I'm really proud of that. Um, I had my meeting with the big New York podcast company and basically they're just like flat turning me down. 
which I guess I didn't know what to expect, but I don't know. I just wasn't really prepared for that. And the reason given, they think it's an important subject and they really like me as a host and but they are concerned that there's not enough like compelling and surprising about this topic and that it would be too like you know everyone knows like being a working mother is hard and it would just like hit that note over and over and like they're so wrong they're so wrong it's not that I don't want it to just hit the same note over and over. And it's not just a podcast about, oh, it's so hard and sad to be a working mother. Like, I hate that shit. That shit drives me crazy. That's not what the podcast is. And like, I thought I made that clear and I didn't feel like the pilot reflected that. I believe there's so many shades and so much tapestry and so much color and so much richness in this topic. And it doesn't have to be, wow, this is hard and sad. It doesn't have to be one note. It can be as diverse and amazing and inspiring and interesting as the working mothers that I know and that write to me and that want to listen to the show and want a chance to be spoken to and want a community and like so I said at the end of the meeting like with like a little bit of a giggle I was glad I was over the phone because I was like sort of crying by the end that I look forward um, I look forward to proving to them that they made a big mistake. <laughs> and I said it with a laugh, but, and they kind of laughed too. And like, I think everything ended on a perfectly good note, but whatever, that's my, that's like what men are supposed to say, right? <laughs> that are super confident, like, oh, well, you just passed on investing in the next Facebook or whatever. So now um, uh, it's Friday, so I think I'm going to take the weekend to like feel sorry for myself. And then on Monday, I have to decide, like, what are the next steps? Wish me luck. Testing. Testing, testing. Today's June 6th, um, 2018. And I guess I'm giving an audio update that I was not at all expecting to give. Before we go any further, a warning that the story of my pregnancy is about to get very difficult. So please be aware of that if that's something you might be sensitive to. So today I went to the midwife um, to get to do a physical and um, I was going to do a DNA blood test and um, went over there and they got me up on the screen and then they're like, oh, got to enter your info. And then it's kind of a slowdown. And, you know, 
you know, saw the baby on the screen and then she just looked at me and just said, like, I'm really sorry there's no heartbeat. And the baby stopped growing at um, nine weeks. And I was just really shocked. Um, I was just really shocked because I just felt like I felt like there were no signs. There were no, there was no outward sign that anything was going wrong. And I was still having nausea and tiredness. And my body has apparently for weeks been thinking that I'm still pregnant. Um, And there was just no, I didn't, there was no like sinking feeling or like, premonition dream or like anything that might have tipped me off it was just like I had a lunch like a kind of casual networking lunch scheduled after this appointment like nothing in my, on my radar like prepared me to think this was gonna happen and Travis wasn't there and so um you know so the midwife um who was really nice and I really liked, um, you know, came and told me that it wasn't my fault and that clearly, like, there was, you know, something, you know, some something was wrong with the embryo and it wasn't anything I did. It just, this just happens and it just is really common and, um, And it's funny, she's, she asked me if I wanted to go back to the ultrasound and look again to confirm. And I was like, no. But now, like, it's a couple hours later and I'm just like, what if they weren't, what if they're wrong? What if, like, they made a mistake or what if, I don't know. I don't, it seems like if they can't hear a heartbeat and the baby's measuring over two weeks behind, like that's basically as definitive as possible. But I'm just like, what if they made a mistake? And I guess this is just like denial, like sinking in um, or something. So now... Um, They gave me the option to have a DNC, which is basically, I guess, an outpatient surgery where they take everything out of your uterus. Um, and um, apparently it takes a day or two to recover from. And I decided I wanted to do that rather than wait 
to miscarry on my own because I could take weeks and be really painful. Um, because I still, you know, there's still, from my perspective, like no outward signs that anything is happening. No, like, bleeding or cramps or anything, so... I just, like, you know, I felt like this whole calculus is, like, I felt this race against the clock of, like, can I get this podcast together before I have this baby? And can I move forward with the work I want to do and accomplish everything I want to accomplish before I have this baby? And now it's just, like, there's no deadline. There's just, like, me and there's no baby. Okay, it's Saturday. Um, I had my DNC yesterday, and on, I guess, the plus side, it's sort of amazing how quickly my body feels like back to normal to like pre-pregnancy or non-pregnancy normal um even yesterday like even after the procedure like after I got home and had a nap like I could already tell like something felt different in my body and I was already less nauseous already less sort of tired and I don't know. I I could tell, especially with the nausea, that it sort of immediately felt better. And and this morning I had coffee for the first time, which I hadn't been able to stomach for months and didn't have to take any of my anti-nausea medication. So it was sort of like this immediate reset Um, and not really in pain anymore and so it feels like the recovery has been physical recovery has been really fast almost like disorientingly fast um and now I'm I I don't it's I feel really up and down. I think that's the best way to describe it and probably how I'm going to feel for a while. Um, I feel like sort of there's a couple things that are really like weighing on me right now. Um, I feel really haunted by the fact that something went wrong like two and a half weeks ago and I didn't know and that I guess a lot of women are really haunted by the idea that they did something wrong to cause a miscarriage and it seems like there's very little that 
anyone does that causes miscarriage. It's just something that happens, but I feel very haunted by the fact I didn't know that I was just carrying this baby whose heart had stopped beating for weeks without knowing. And that, like, really disturbed me. Because, and I'm sort of going back and analyzing every symptom or lack of symptom. And I think probably the thing that was so threw me off was just like I had so much nausea, just like in my first pregnancy. And I was really tired. And those were like some of the main memories of the first trimester last time. And so I just presumed everything was going as normal and I was just so much less anxious during this pregnancy than I was the first pregnancy like with my son I I was just worried I was having a miscarriage like all the time and I didn't worry about that this time and that just like fucks with my mind I don't know if worrying about having a miscarriage it's not like that would have prevented having one but But I just didn't. And it's crazy. I know it's crazy because miscarriage is so common and so many pregnancies don't make it out of the first trimester. Probably more than most people know. But I just didn't think that's... It didn't feel like that was where we were headed. And I feel pretty lost. And it kind of felt like our whole, my whole like life and career trajectory was framed around this. And sometimes during this pregnancy, I felt resentful of that. Like, how am I going to get this podcast up and running and produced before I have another baby or before people know I'm pregnant (laughs) was like a lot of my anxieties. And now that's all gone. Um... So I've been really comforted by spending time with Asher since this happened and like his energy and joy is like such a precious distraction and I know even though I am feeling a lot of sadness like it's nothing I know it's so much easier to deal with because I already have a child and like I'm already a mother and I have so much to be thankful for and I know and I feel so empathetic to people who go through this and haven't had that yet because that is like just feels really comforting but at the same time like I feel like all of my anxieties are up like I felt anxious like him going out the door with my mom to a local museum just like having him out of my sight like I just feel like everything feels so precious right now so I'm sort of oscillating between feeling like I want to just like get my life back to normal and 
start doing things that I didn't have energy for and I like really want to have like a delicious cocktail tonight. <laughs> Definitely feel like I've earned that. But then also just feeling like anytime I think about what has happened in the last three days, like I just feel really sad. So I feel like today is just a combination of crying and doing mundane things. And I'm thinking about I'd taken out a lot of my maternity clothes from last time because a lot of them were summer clothes. And so I thought maybe I would wear them this summer. So I might spend some time sort of putting those away just so I don't see them hanging in the closet all the time. So this is all still pretty hard for me to listen to, even though my life now feels like it's in a much different place than it was during that very dark time. A lot has happened in the last year, and probably the thing I'm proudest of is that I didn't give up on making the double shift. And in some ways, my obsession with getting this show into the world kept me going through lots of grief and all kinds of uncertainty. Ultimately, I got grants to fund the show, and I found the right people to champion this work. Sometimes on panels or radio shows, I still get asked whether I think women can have it all. In my own life and the lives of women I've spent time reporting on, the very idea that there's some kind of achievable, perfect state of life where everything is in harmony for more than a fluky 30 seconds feels ridiculous. And the very idea sets us up to feel like failures. I've started to see my life as a working mother as a series of constant decisions and compromises, like a sort of janky Rube Goldberg machine, where as soon as you get one section working, you're either onto some crisis or you're just tinkering with the next part. I've also been in a lot of therapy in the last year, and I have a stronger and happier marriage than I did a year ago. I have a lovable, healthy preschooler. I do not have a second child. I have the accomplishment of making this show, which means something to me, and I think it means something to other people too. I don't know what my career will look like in one or two or five or ten years from now, but from where I stand at this moment, it's clear to me that not having it all can still mean having quite a lot. The Double Shift's executive producer is Sarah Ventry, and our editorial advisor is Amy Westervelt. Our editor is Rachel McCarthy. Production assistance comes from Piper Payne at Nido Mastering. Our music is by Travis Morrison, and our theme song is by Palehound. We're part of the Critical Frequency Podcast Network. I'm Katherine Goldstein. Thanks for joining The Double Shift. <laughs>